It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, December 4th. I'm Michael Guidry in for Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a Mississippi man convicted of two capital murders in 1994 says evidence and witness testimony used to convict him and sentence him to death is unreliable. Then a Mississippi congressman oversees the first expulsion of a House member in more than 20 years. Plus, immigrants' rights advocates are going door-to-door in their communities to discuss how a flood mitigation plan could affect Jackson and the lower Pearl River. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The Mississippi Supreme Court ruled last week to delay the execution of a man convicted of murdering two Mississippi State students in 1994. Ever since Willie Jerome Manning was convicted of capital murder and placed on death row, he's maintained a claim of his innocence. Nearly 30 years later, he's filed a petition asking the state Supreme Court to reconsider evidence in his case before allowing an execution date to be set. Chrissy Noble is director of the Mississippi Office of Capital Post-Conviction Counsel, a state agency. She tells our Mike McEwen that many of the people who testified against Manning have since retracted their statements. Prior to the state moving to set Manning's execution date, we actually filed on behalf of Manning, along with Manning's longtime counsel, David Boyson, a petition for post-conviction relief that reasserts his innocence. His innocence is something that Manning has asserted really at every step since he was arrested in 1993. So even prior to the state's motion to set an execution date, Manning had a petition for post-conviction relief filed. The Mississippi Supreme Court basically held the motion to set an execution date in abeyance, which just means it's kind of stayed and told the state that it needed to respond to the previously filed petition for post-conviction relief. So the state is required to respond to our petition by December 29th. And could you just walk me through what what's the key argument in his petition for post-conviction relief? What are some of the claims uh, that he and that your office is making that they want the state to reconsider? So he has basically newly discovered evidence related to um, recanting of key witnesses that were basically what people think of as jailhouse snitch witnesses, as well as scientific development. Manning has provided new expert analysis, as well as concessions from the FBI about the FBI's 
prior fatally flawed hair analysis, ballistic forensics evidence that the state relied on to convict Manning. So we, we also have evidence now that witnesses have admitted that their testimony was fabricated in exchange for favorable treatment from the state, and that included money and sentence reductions, and those are sworn affidavits that are attached to Manning's post-conviction petition. So really the kind of key things that were used to convict Manning were these hair analysis and ballistics analysis from the FBI. The FBI itself has admitted that its analysis was false, and also these jailhouse snitch witnesses who have now recanted. And as I understand, the hair analysis that the FBI conducted, scientifically, it couldn't really determine that it was indeed Willie Jerome Manning's hair that was found in the car where the two Mississippi State students were held, and they just described it as African-American hair, and that's how they made that determination. Is that correct? That's right. There's not any physical evidence connecting Willie Manning to this crime. There's no fingerprint evidence, there's no DNA evidence, there's no blood evidence, and there's no fiber evidence. What the prosecutor relied on was a hair that the FBI at that point said came from a black person. The FBI in 2013 recanted that and said that that goes beyond um, the limits of science, that that's basically what we consider in the mainstream to be junk science. Um, And that's, that's where the hair analysis fit in. And he was also convicted of a separate double murder, also in Starkville in the 1990s. And that, he he was ultimately, I guess acquitted isn't the word, that conviction was removed. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I mean, charges were dismissed. He's um, list on, listed on the National Registry for exonerees for the that case. But yes, the charges were dismissed in that one. And some of what happened in that case is, is playing out in this case as well. There, the state failed to disclose information that would have proved its key witness lied, even though the state had its information. Witness testified that he saw Manning enter the victim's apartment from the par- from the apartment where the victim supposedly lived. But it turned out that the, the witness that said that did not even live there at the time. He had moved into the apartment about two weeks after the murders, and there were notes in possession of the police that were not turned over that would have proved the witness was lying. So at the evidentiary hearing in that case, the witness explained that he was um, facing charges in Missouri when he gave the statement, and he was afraid also that the police were going to charge his girlfriend. So you still had, um, you had in that case, kind of like what you have in this case, where you have um, the sheriff at the time putting pressure on, you know, desperate people that were incentivized to essentially, essentially lie for favorable treatment. Early this month, the state Supreme Court granted a time extension for the state to respond to Manning's petition. Um, and about a week and a half, two weeks later, Attorney General Lynn Fitch filed motions on that department's behalf to have an execution date set. Are you aware of any reasoning as to why the Attorney General filed for that? I'm not. I mean, they, you know, do what they think is best for them. And we respond in turn. I do think it's a little bit curious to file an extension of time saying that you need more time because the petition is lengthy and you need to need more time to, you know, have a meaningful response. And then at the same, you know, right after that, file a motion to set an execution date. That That is a little curious timing for 
lack of better word, but I do think that, you know, executions in general just are not the place to be acting first and asking questions later. And so I am very appreciative of the fact that the court is, you know, at least requiring the state to respond to this petition. After they do review it and consider it, what is what is then actionable on the state Supreme Court's behalf? Will they look to maybe a retrial or doing away with the conviction? What would that look like? Yeah, so after the state responds, we will have a chance to do what is referred to as a reply brief. Um, after that, it will be fully briefed up. The Mississippi Supreme Court will consider the legal arguments and just for post-conviction petitions in general that start with the Mississippi Supreme Court, which all death penalty cases do, um, the Mississippi Supreme Court could grant relief. They could say, you know, the legal arguments satisfy the law and we are reversing Manning's conviction. They could, the DA in Octavia County could then retry him. Or they could say, no, this doesn't satisfy the law and deny the petition. Or they could do what they did in Manning's um, other case and say, you know, there are some arguments here that need factual development. So we're remanding this case to the circuit court to have an evidentiary hearing. And at that point, the circuit court will be looking at the arguments, seeing witness testimony, considering evidence, and then deciding where to go from then in terms of reversing Manning's capital murder conviction. Chrissy Noble is director of the Mississippi Office of Capital Post-Conviction Council. Coming up, a Mississippi congressman oversaw the first expulsion of a House member in more than 20 years. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. What are your holiday traditions? Driving to see relatives? Baking treats? Curling up on the couch near the fireplace? MPB Think Radio can be a part of each of these holiday events. Listen on your car radio or your smart speaker, along with on-demand favorites like Deep South Dining and Autocorrect inside the MPB Public Media app. Start a new tradition today, listening to MPB Think Radio while you celebrate the holidays. Autocorrect on MPB Think Radio, helping you correct your auto problems. Our host is Coach Charlie Milton, ASC Certified Master Technician. Let me help save you some money working on your cars. Listen to our podcast, Autocorrect. In a world of information overload, MPB breaks through the noise with programs that are thoughtful, enlightening, and entertaining. We can only do this because of you. Please consider an end-of-the-year gift. Go to mpbonline.org and click Donate Now. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Michael Guidry. Former Republican U.S. Representative George Santos of New York was expelled from Congress on Friday after a bipartisan vote of his peers. The vote comes after a report from the House Ethics Committee was released in late November. Mississippi's 3rd District Congressman Michael Guest, Republican, chairs the committee and issued the successful resolution to to expel Santos. Former Congressman Santos claimed he was not given an ample opportunity to defend himself in the case, but during a press event held after the congressional vote, Congressman Guest says that wasn't true. So he submitted some of the documents that the investigative subcommittee requested. Uh, 
Um, many of those documents that we received, and again, we did not receive all of them, many that we received were after great delay. Uh, Mr. Santos did not give a written statement uh, after the original member complaint was filed shortly after he was sworn in. Uh, he did not submit a statement under oath to the committee. Uh, he refused to sit for a voluntary interview, uh, and when we were contacted by his counsel, uh, being the ethics committee, uh, we were told that if he was subpoenaed to testify that he would come in and he would plead the Fifth Amendment uh, not to incriminate himself. Uh, and so for Mr. Santos to allege that he has fully cooperated, uh, I would have to say that that, that, that is, is, is not truthful. Uh, I would say that he has cooperated only to the barest minimum extent in turning over, again, just a portion of the documents that we requested. So he has had ample opportunity to answer, to defend these allegations. And he had the opportunity on the House floor just yesterday. Uh, during the 30 minutes uh, that he was given, he had an opportunity to point out errors or admissions or, or reasons uh, that the findings of the ethics report were wrong, and he didn't do so. You know, if you look at the report, you'll see that there is, is even a portion of the report as it relates to the sexual misconduct that exonerated Mr. Santos. You know, for, so for him to say that the report was nothing but a witch hunt, uh, that we had already predetermined the, outturn, uh, the outcome of that report, is blatantly false. Uh, and again, I, I point to the fact that there was no findings of sexual misconduct, uh, that, that we agreed with OEC, that we did not believe those allegations. That was contained in the report. So if you look at the report, I would, I, I would submit to you that the report is fair, that the report is balanced, uh, that the report is based on eight months of investigations, 40 witnesses, 172,000 pages of documents uh, that were reviewed. Uh, the report is some 50-plus pages long, and there are half a dozen binders of exhibits uh, that accompany the report. Santos has been accused of lying about many aspects of his life and misreporting campaign finances. After eight months of work, the Ethics Committee investigators said they found, quote, overwhelming evidence that Santos had broken the law and exploited his public position for personal gain. Santos was indicted by federal prosecutors in May on multiple charges, but since then many members of Congress have urged that Santos should not be removed from office before being convicted. Guest respectfully disagrees. I understand uh, the, the precedent that some members feel that this set, that this sets the precedent that members can be removed from Congress uh, without a conviction. Um, in years past, many members have chosen to resign instead of forcing Congress to take a vote to expel. Uh, but, uh, the, but if you look at the report, if you read those findings, again, they find substantial evidence of multiple violations, which to, in my case clearly supported expulsion. We followed the Constitution uh, in the way that this was to play out. Uh, and then uh, the members of Congress have voted today. Uh, I, I take no pride in, in what has happened today. It is a very solemn day when you have to remove a member from Congress. Uh, and I wish Mr. Santos the best. Congressman Guest also says this case is very much an outlier in the Capitol and expects other members of Congress to respect their office enough to resign when and if necessary. I think that we have seen members who have committed crimes far less than this that have chosen to resign. Uh, I think that this is the exception to the rule. Uh, the Constitution does not require a conviction. Uh, we followed the Constitution. We, again, had a very thorough eight-month investigation. I think the report clearly sets out the fraud committed by Mr. Santos and his campaign. Uh, and, I, and I think the right verdict was reached today. Guest was the only Republican in Mississippi's House delegation to vote for the expulsion of Santos. Top Republican leaders in the House also voted against the motion. 
Congressman Guest says he does respect the decision of House leaders to allow the vote to go through, though, even though it had the potential to narrow the margins of Republican control in the chamber. No, I'm not disappointed leadership. You know, a matter of fact, I applaud leadership and the fact that, that they chose not to whip against this. They very easily, with a very narrow majority that we hold in Congress of four seats, they very easily could have whipped against this vote. Uh, they chose not to whip against this vote. Uh, most waited until just moments before the vote to announce how they were going to be voting so that not to influence other members. Uh, you've seen uh, uh, Speaker Johnson say repeatedly this is a vote of conscience and that members need to vote their conscience in their district. Uh, and so the fact that leadership didn't support it in their vote, uh, that's the decision that they have to make. But I, but I do applaud leadership for not whipping against this vote and trying to protect Mr. Santos and keep him in the House of Representatives just to protect one of our very narrow majority. With Santos's ouster, Republicans now have a three-vote majority in the House. Coming up, immigrants' rights advocates are going door-to-door in their communities to discuss how a flood mitigation plan could affect Jackson and the Lower Pearl River. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. What are your holiday traditions? Driving to see relatives? Baking treats? Curling up on the couch near the fireplace? MPB Think Radio can be a part of each of these holiday events. Listen on your car radio or your smart speaker, along with on-demand favorites like Deep South Dining and AutoCorrect inside the MPB Public Media app. Start a new tradition today, listening to MPB Think Radio while you celebrate the holidays. What can you do with the MPB Radio app? Listen live, hear local news, view the schedule, make a contribution, listen to shows on demand, and interact with social media. Get the app for your smartphone now. If you aren't near a radio, you can still listen to MPB Think Radio and MPB Music Radio. You can download the MPB Public Media app for your smartphone or listen online at mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Michael Guidry. Organizers in Jackson are trying to spread the word to residents about one of the proposed solutions to the city's flooding problems. The project goes by the name One Lake and would allow wide river dredging along the Pearl River just south of the Ross Barnett Reservoir between Jackson and Flowood. It's a project that's been under the microscope of the Army Corps of Engineers as they make a decision on if it will move forward. But organizers in the city's immigrant and minority communities are warning residents that some of those solutions may not solve the issue of flooding there. It would only benefit other wealthy and majority white communities. A volunteer with the Immigrant Alliance for Justice and Equity, who goes by Lauren, told listeners on a web call about the project. By opening the mouth of the Pearl River, these tributary creeks will overflow. We would like you to sign this petition. We're going to send the link out of the petition. We're trying to get over 2,000 so that the Assistant Secretary of the Army for Civil Works, which is the Mississippi Army Corps, of engineers so that he who's going to make the final decision because this year there's been a lots of ups and downs like it's almost been stopped thanks to our organizing but it still could go through in January so we have to get the word out we have to get people to come to town hall meetings and now remember this is going to affect southwest Jackson and northeast Jackson 
Major flooding of the Pearl has long had tremendous effects on minority residents along the river's numerous tributaries in the capital area, which are often creeks. Many run through West and South Jackson. Lorena Quiros heads the IAJE and is helping gather signatures. She says getting this community feedback can help them communicate their concerns better with leaders of the project. There's already some organizing in some of the wealthier parts of Jackson, so we're targeting because we want this to be a unified effort. Unfortunately, people with power, money, always separate themselves. We're going to go to the town meetings and want to create a, a unified Jackson effort. Um, I think Brooke and Lauren are going to go to the meeting that's already happening. And then we're going to have one here for Western South Jackson next Thursday at 6 p.m. So maybe if you guys want to write some notes and give them the address, we're going to have a, a South West Jackson meeting here in English and Spanish. But also when you organize, hey, when we organize um, and like we're doing this part, we're educating folks, we're talking to folks, inviting them, which you give them something to do, right? So you're going to invite them to a town hall meeting next week, next Thursday. We always have a target. And the target in this campaign, his name is Michael Connor. And why is Michael Connor a, a target? We have done our investigating on Michael Connor, and he seems to be progressive. He's pro the people. He's an indigenous man, the first indigenous man uh, that was assigned to, to his position. So what we want to do is we want to encourage him to make the right decision. Kiro says there are better ways for the state to mitigate flooding in Jackson. There's three alternatives to this project. And what we're asking Michael Connor, just to make it simple, I'm not going to go into option one and two, because when we organize with our community, we want to make things simple. We're going to ask them to encourage Michael Connor to choose option three. And option three, Lauren is going to tell us a little bit more about that. So that's what you're going. You're saying these are the things, this is what's happening in our community. You can be flooded, you can be bored out, but you can also stop it. Michael Connor can make this decision, which deals with the tributaries, I'm bad pronouncing, trip, whatever. Right. My English and Spanish mess up one out. And we want him to choose option three or one. Or so there's one. two options that will not mm -hmm. cause construction of a new river. Let's 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 target one. That's the easiest thing. So because be let's do option three. Because this is buyout. And and so buyout means that they will offer you money for your mm -hmm. and supposedly, right? Mm -hmm. Supposedly they're gonna ask your permission and they they're gonna offer you a fair wage. When has that ever happened to black and brown communities? It's very rare. So we want to narrow our target and we're going to narrow it down. We've done the research. Michael Connor seems to be progressive and we're going to get as many signatures and we're going to say, hey, Michael Connor, choose option three, which addresses the flooding, which addresses the issue. And he's actually the, like the top of the line decision maker. Proponents of One Lake say it would allow for a major economic development area in Rankin County and parts of Hines County. One of the most recent floods in the area caused damage to hundreds of homes. Contamination from the waters also reignited issues in Jackson's water system, causing federal courts to place a third-party manager over the city's water utility. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.